The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. The Houndsman XP Podcast Network is powered by Cajun Lights. All of your lighting needs for hunting can be taken care of at Cajun Lights. They have three models of cap lights. I'm going to run through them real quick. You've got the Rogaroo, which is their high-end light. If you're a competition hunter and you got to find that coon up in a tree and it's all riding on finding that coon, you'll want the Rogaroo on your head. Next is the Bayou. That's a pretty standard light, but it's got packed with features. It's got multiple colors. It's got walking lights. It's got the red, the green, the amber. It's all built in right into that light. And then you have one of my personal favorites, the Micro Gator. The Micro Gator is an ultra lightweight cap light. It's got all the features of a white light, red, green, and amber. I've used this light for everything from finding bear tracks early in the morning to coon hunting at night to working on plumbing in the house changing tires on the side of the road my truck doesn't leave the driveway without a cajun light in it and that light is the micro gator every cajun light is durable made from the highest quality components and it is backed by cajun's top rated customer service check out cajun lights you can go to our website at houndsmanxp.com go to our sponsors page hit that link it'll take you right to cajun lights check them out they got a lot of stuff to offer over at Cajun Lights. You know, we all have that one special dog hanging out on the porch. He's just a little bit of this and a little bit of that. All these things you like coming together to make one superb dog. That was exactly what we had in mind when we made this show. Welcome to All Mixed Up. Hey everybody, Chad Reynolds here. We got Seth Hall and Kyle Warren from Paint River Setters here today. What's up, Everybody guys? doing good? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me, guys. Looking forward to it. It's good to um, be here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, so... Uh, gonna gonna change things up a little bit more. As you guys know, I like running the bird dogs and have been messing with it for a while. And we started off with a with a, a Paint River dog, um, which is a a setter, an English setter. Um, and uh, uh, but you know, uh, uh, all the hound hunters will be happy to know this is a unique. You know, one of the reasons I sought Kyle out and his his uh, kennel. Uh, specifically is this type of bird dog um, is very track oriented, you know, more so than uh, most of the others you may find, you know, 
Um, and that, that's what drew me to it. And then I got to talking with Kyle and got it and had a whole bunch of fun with it, but it's so unique, you know, and it, it kind of leans, falls into our, uh, hound hunters background with, you know, more of a, a tracking sense rather than just a winding dog, which are very functional. This is just different. Um, uh, but anyway, so that's why I got caught up. That's why I got super excited. That's why I sought out and, and brought me home a dandy from paint river. Um, but, uh, uh, Kyle, I guess to, before we get too far into it, uh, when, when'd you get into setters? Um, so again, thanks for having me on the show, Chad. Um, my first setter I got in, uh, 2004. So it's been 20 years, uh, since I've had setters and, you know, pretty much, uh, never looked back after that. I mean, I've had other pointing breeds, started with short hairs, had some Britneys, had quite a few Vishlas smooth and wire hair versions. Um, but yeah, when I was uh, 24, I got my first setter. And uh, once that little puppy basically had a better season than any of my seasoned other breeds <laughs> in the grouse woods, I I uh, pretty much found what, what I would consider home for the rest of my days. Is that right? Yeah. Was that a, was that a Llewellyn? You know, it like- was a Llewellyn, yeah. Um, so it was a Llewellyn from... Uh, um Lynn Hill Llewellyn Setters in Western PA there since long retired now um but had some outstanding dogs um uh imported dogs from Belgium and some other old uh Bondu line dogs within the Llewellyn world they're an older English couple did a lot of great things with the breed for a good number of years and um I was fortunate enough to um get a handful of dogs from them among other kennels um you know, when I was starting out and it was, uh, yeah. shaped the rest of my life. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say it. You definitely incorporated it in, you know, like it, <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's one of the things that pumped me about it. You see a lot of guys like, yeah, I got him. I breed him. I got a litter. You can come out here and pick one, you know, <laughs> and talking to Kyle, he like, he lives, sleeps, dreams, <laughs> eats, <laughs> his, you know, his, uh, setters, man. And it shows, I mean, they're fantastic. You know, that's but, the kind of people we like to have on Houndsman XP. That's the only exactly. people we like to have. I want to hear yeah. eat, sleep, breathe. I got a question <laughs> yeah, for you, yeah. Kyle. Yeah, How did you throw, spell Llewellyn? Sacrifice, right? <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, uh, yeah, seriously. There's a lot of a lot of sacrifice when uh, uh, it really becomes a lifestyle choice. That's for sure. Mm. Let me ask you a question, Kyle. How yeah. do you spell Llewellyn? Because <laughs> when I tried to Google this. Uh-huh. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spell yeah. it. Llewellyn is spelled L-L-E-W-E-L-L-I-N. Um, you'll see some people throwing a Y instead of an I sometimes, but um, uh, Purcell Llewellyn, who this, this strain of English setter is named after, um, spelt, was spelt with an I. Okay. Where does and it come gonna, from? If you're going to get fancy, you know, the, the Welsh... Uh, maybe there's some Welsh person listening to this and will correct my pronunciation, but it's actually like Llewellyn. You know, it's like a the double L is like a Q almost when you pronounce it in Welsh. My mother-in-law is Welsh, so she's always uh, pulling rank on me there. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when I try to um, do any kind of words in Spanish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My He's brother's in- worse. <laughs> yeah, is that, he's down in southern New Mexico, so you know he actually speaks very good 
Spanish, as far as I'm concerned, but like, <laughs> yeah, as you're not, far as you're he's not the concerned. one that has to be concerned about it, right? <laughs> no, no, like the extent of my Spanish speaking was like me and a buddy in the back of like Spanish one trying to like come up with bad pickup lines for our, <laughs> for the Hispanic girls, like tu eres muy grande verde cacatua. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like you're a very big green cockatoo or me encanta mi rodilla, you know, like I love my knee, you know, so we just yeah. try and spit so game. Stayed, you stayed the, single is what you're telling me. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, I'm aroused. Yeah. I don't know what to say. Like, yeah, wow. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of, I kind of came in hot there, Seth. I'm sorry, I caught you off guard. I, just stop at me uh, more. There you go. There you go. <laughs> oh um, man. <laughs> so, so there, there you go. That's how you dove into them. That's how you got into them. And obviously, you've had a blast since then. Like, so you've been where you're at. Like, you were already there when you got into the setters, right? So the the grouse, it was a passion. Um, beforehand yeah, i mean you know i guess uh you know uh, a 60 second timeline to bring to present you know uh i grew up in a dog breeding family um three of my aunts professionally bred dogs one of them uh bred german shore hares for 25 years that's where i got into it 10 years old my dad and i got into bird hunting we had our first shore hair jesse it was uh, a preserved thousand acre pig farm. You know, we put birds out, you know, every weekend for like 10 weeks a year. Had a, I had a blast doing it, you know, with my dad. That was kind of our connection point. And then I just kind of became obsessed, trained hundreds of dogs for free from 10 to 15 years old neighborhood. My, my aunt's kennels dogs, you know, shelter dogs, teacher's dogs. Uh, when I was uh, 15, I uh, converted our small uh, farm ed into a dog kennel facility and uh, started to charge people, you know, for my services and just start off with obedience and bird dogs. Cause that's what I was familiar with growing up. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, just kind of grew into that. Um, when I got out of high school and I was in a community college um, living at home, my father was like, yeah, take the show on the road, dude. We got way too many dogs on this little property here, you know? So, <laughs> um, so yeah. And I started training, Started to expand as I got more experience, you know, rehabbing aggressive dogs, uh, got on the search and rescue, um, uh, service dogs, you know, physical assist dogs, stuff like that. Um, waterfowl dogs, pretty much everything but herding sheep um, is, you know, what I, what I've, well, I, I'm looking at two sighthound guys, so I should say sighthounds as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Don't but, leave us um, out. <laughs> yeah. We did, did a lot of things, you know, do it as a living. And I was training 40 dogs a week for over 22 years. Uh, be, uh, and that's in upstate, um, upstate New York, Catskill Mountains region. Um, so that's where I was from. That's where I lived the first 39 years of my life. Um, and uh, hunting grouse all throughout the Catskills, Southern Tier, New York, Adirondacks, um, into Vermont, New Hampshire, Northeastern PA. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, dogs took care of me. I took care of them. It worked out really good. Just didn't know I was ever going to do it for a living. Just didn't really think there was going to be many other options in my mind. And as uh, time went on, you know, just... Uh, it just kept happening, and I was always fortunate since I was 20 years old. I always took off all the hunting season to work the dogs, and uh, like I, I had a bunch of I had a bunch of different breeds, and they were good dogs. But once I got to the setters, um, that was uh, pretty much pretty much full throttle from there on. And it's always been 
kind of dovetailed into uh, all my training and all my work. And then uh, 12 years ago, I came out to the UP to actually look at some setters. And I was here for a few days, and I was like, wow, this place is absolutely amazing. I read it about it, about, you know, in magazines and stuff like that. And um, six weeks later, I own 70 acres here. and <laughs> never stepped foot in this part of the country before and um, just kept buying land up around my 70 acres. After the first hunting season, I knew I had to move here. And uh, so it became a 10-year plan. I was able to, you know, pay for the American dream with my big dog training empire I had back in New York, paid for everything out here first, and then I moved out here. Um, so I was all set up. And uh, now I've kind of graduated to where the only dogs I train are dogs that I've bred. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a nice way to be for talking to a, <laughs> talking to a career dog trainer as well. You know that that's uh, an icing on the cake job when you get to just work with your own dogs. So. Let me ask you a question, Kyle. This is going to be from a total outsider. I'm going to, I am the layman. So I'm going to, everything I ask, hopefully the audience is thinking, but what is the ultimate grouse to hunt? Right? So like when I say the ultimate dog animal for a hound to pursue, I'm speaking obviously of a jackrabbit, but what Uh for pointing dogs, what grouse is just the king in your opinion? Well, in in my opinion, right, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, those are all in caps and under underlined, I guess. Um, you know, so I myself am exclusively a rough grouse hunter um, from the East Coast to the Upper Midwest. So, in the world of grouse hunting, those well traveled wing shooters, which I am not, um, will pretty much agree that the most challenging bird for a dog to master and provide consistent shot opportunities for are those grouse, are the rough grouse from the East Coast, Upper Midwest. You know, I'll have people that hunt chucker out in Oregon and Wyoming and Nevada, and they buy dogs from me all the time. And they come here and they've listened to me talk, they've done the research, and they want to get a dog from me. But every one of them says the same thing. I got a bone to pick with you about the king of all game birds, you know. Um, you know, so because out there, they, you can, like, kill rough grouse, I guess, with a baseball bat. Um, and that's just, <laughs> that's not the case here at all, you know. So it's just a, it depends, you know. I think um, maybe other species don't vary as much regionally. But, uh, you know, where I, where I am in the upper Midwest, they're the hardest running grouse that I've ever hunted in all the places that I've ever hunted them. You know, we just, we have the contiguous habitat to fly is to die. Um, and they run, you know, they run a hundred to 300 plus yards routinely in this type of environment. Um, whereas wow. back East, they're super wary, super flighty, you know, they're like paranoid schizophrenics, but they're in pocket covers. Um, so maybe they're going 30 to 50 yards maximum before they're to the edge of that cover and getting out the other side. So you could be stepping into a cover and those wary birds are jumping out the other side of that cover, but you're not getting these really long tracks, um, that you do. And then again, I've never hunted them in Montana, you know, but, um, I'm told that, uh, while they certainly use their linear tree habitat to try to put in between you and them, I've also heard that sometimes, uh, they act like our spruce grouse do here where you can almost walk up to them, uh, you know, and they act like they've never seen a human before. So, but certainly there's a lot of romantic stories and novels and books written about um, setters and rough grouse hunting. And I think that's for uh, good reason. Um, but 
out of all my people, I would say probably 60 to 70 percent of my dogs, I sell the rough grouse homes uh, here in the upper Midwest. Um, I would say about half of them are very serious traveling wing shooters and they travel all over the place and uh, they choose to live where they live and they choose to hunt the majority of the season where they hunt because we definitely consider this bird to be king of the grouse, but they love to hunt blue grouse. They love to hunt sage grouse, you know, um, they love to hunt, you know, sharp tails. And, you know, then you start talking about late season, right. And they all get hard. Right. So, um, I think, uh, you know, every, every, I always say every, every wild bird is the king of its own environment, you know, but the rough grouse in the upper, in the upper Midwest offers one of the greatest challenges to a pointing dog, um, and its handler based on the environment that it's in. They're smart. They know how to use their territory and depending upon, and they're pretty wary, um, especially once you get into October and beyond. So, um, they're a real, uh, they're a real challenge and having tracking style dogs like Chad had mentioned that I largely have, um, is a real asset in my opinion on any wild birds that run, which are basically everything besides Woodcock and maybe Bob White here and there. But, um, you know, they're, uh, they're, it's a real, it's a real advantage having that type of dog up here. And, uh, from all of my dogs that I sell all over the place and my friends that hunt all over the place, they do just fine everywhere. They just might track less and a little bit differently as you move further West with more wind, more sun and less humidity, you know, so environment is going to dictate scenting conditions. And obviously, you know, that's going to play into how your dog's going to work work birds yeah set I, I was uh i was cracking it up i was like oh man i don't that's a loaded question Seth. that's a good <laughs> one right there that, oh my gosh you know and like you say i think you did a fine job of that too by the way that was very 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 tactful kyle <laughs> you know? um uh, rough grouse are awesome you know uh i i don't i don't have any immediate in my immediate vicinity you know yeah, uh, but I've traveled for them. I got the duskies, you know, yeah. um, by yeah. me. Uh, yeah. One of these days, yeah, I, I am going to get to your neck of the woods because I, I would love to, uh, I would love to, to hunt those forest grouse. You know, I had an opportunity um, to hunt with Dandy's sire mm-hmm. uh, in the Italian Alps and many of his relatives and other dogs, and uh, you know, the black grouse. That's a bucket list bird for me. Tell, um, tell us about those a little bit, if you don't mind. Like, oh, that, yeah. Them so, have been wild, you know. Yeah. So Seth, he hunted black grouse in the and and where at exactly? So, so um, to make sure I don't say it wrong here. Yeah, in in the Italian Alps, I was literally Duca Dandy Sire was literally finding and pointing grouse right next to the ski slopes they made for the Torino Olympics back in whatever year that was. Literally, right. the ski slopes were right there, and huh. you know we were po- they were pointing black grouse on those ski slopes. Yeah, dang, <laughs> some dudes. They're a real, by they're a real awesome bird. I mean, they're a beautiful bird for anybody that hasn't seen them. They should look them up. They're uh, they're all black. Well, the the males are all black. Um, they got this like um, bright red markings uh, around their face, and then they, their tail goes like sideways like off to the side you know like some ornamental chicken you know and some the center feathers that plume up and out are uh white so they look um, awesome and, <laughs> yeah and they're they're a big bird they're like a th- the males are like three pounds um but if oh, either one of you ever 
I mean, I'm, you've seen plenty of fast flying um, wild birds. Uh, our our species have probably not crossed paths uh, enough that we've hunted to to compare. But our rough grouse here fly very quickly and navigate these dense woods very fast. I mean, you usually have like one to one point five seconds to shoot at them if you're in kind of classic cover in the prime time of the season. And these three pound black grouse, which are I would argue the say. 30 to 40% bigger than the rough grouse fly like just as fast. They hold a lot tighter because their cover is what I kind of imagine might be out uh, more like in um, forest grouse and maybe like Montana, you know, um, cause we're at, we're hunting at between 6,000 and 8,500 feet for black grouse in the Alps. And it's like mature tamarack forest, tall, thin grass, and then pat a patchwork on the mountainside of juniper berry and blueberry. That's, like knee high and the, and the birds tuck themselves down in there. So the handlers go in there with like a hiking stick and like beat the heck out of these bushes where the birds have like gotten in, you know, if you've seen like wild blueberry bushes, like it's just like a web, you know, in there and the birds are just like nestled deep inside that stuff. So they run from like patch to patch and they hold tight in there. So these birds, the dogs will track these birds hundreds of yards to wherever clump they've settled on. And uh, Chad, you've probably seen the video, um, but at a later time, anybody that wants to see a, uh, a video, a really cool video of Dandy Sire doing a 400-yard track on black grouse in the Alps. Oh, yeah. Uh, when I went I've over there, I got on my website. Yeah, on the yeah. Sire's page under Duca. And uh, that was a goosebump moment for me. I made it like an eight-minute video, fast-forwarded through some of the uh, quieter parts of it. Um, that was 13 minutes, but... He brought us straight up a mountain, you know, uh, 400 yards and, you know, uh, set up a beautiful, uh, beautiful scenario for black grouse. But that's a bucket list bird for me. I have some invites in Sweden as well, where I think they're even more plentiful. But that's a very yeah, cool bird. I, I admire or I uh, advise anyone that's listening to this to Google what a black grouse looks like. They kind of look like a tiny capricaylee, like a little black yes, turkey. kind they of. They do. They do. Yeah. They actually tried to established them here in the up i was told um by a you know mentor of mine up here that that's a retired dnr biologist i don't know if it was the 70s or the 80s i want to say but a long time ago they actually tried to establish them here and they maybe the forested habitat was too thick i'm not sure but they they didn't they didn't take Mm, gotcha um, all right. Well, then, so uh, you, you kind of tiptoed into it a little bit, talked about, you know, like that, that long 400 yard track with, uh, with Duca. Um, uh, just so that maybe, you know, a lot of our hound listeners, um, scent hound listeners, you know, have in their mind, uh, like break down, break down a track, break down how, sure. how they go and how these, these dogs work. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I've, I've kind of defined bird dogs into two categories um, as as broad labels. So I think uh, the the 30-second explanation of how I describe the non-tracker will further help understand the, the tracker. So I call like our, Amer- our American field bred setters, um, all of our American pointing breed testing systems, uh, regardless of what organization, they're all they're all breeding for and performing for what I call a true dog, where you know we want the dog to pretty much be solely taking in 
scent cone finds. All right. You know, running with a high head, um, all the time prior to the shot, you know, now, um, certainly on covey birds, certainly in optimal conditions on hot tracks, what I'm calling a true dog can certainly relocate birds that had just moved. The dog went into a solid point. Maybe they're ahead 30 yards or a hundred yards, depending upon the environment. And the, the trail is so hot, literally that scent might not even be on the ground. All right. As well. But for mm-hmm. the most part, those dogs are running with a high head. They're looking to find their target odor by wind, by air, you know, now how I define the tracking dogs are by dogs that are running with a lower head, typically between their elbows and their shoulders. So they're catching both the ground game and the wing game. Okay. And, uh, these dogs will point it, will point trail scent just like they point a scent cone. Okay. Um, and most of my dogs, um, will show a variable presentation. They don't all set on the ground, um, but they'll be certainly standing tall um, when they're further off the bird, even in a scent cone find. If they're, let, yeah. Let, let me cut in real quick, just so I can make sure everybody's on some some point. He's <laughs> sure. referencing point. Everybody's familiar with the, the pointer dog point where they, you know, lock up, tail straight up in the air. Yeah, you know, whereas a setter, Kyle, enter you a setter does you know they yeah. also can do you know explain yeah. in your words please yeah so setters setters um setters can point which we're going to say is, is standing standing tall um they can have any kind of style in terms of rigidity in their body with intensity um but setters can have a variable pointing stance and when the lower profile they are usually when they're when their chest when their stomach is touching the ground in the in the world of pointing dogs, we consider that a set. Traditionally, um, you know, uh, you know, old world setters almost exclusively did that, um, and we've bred away from it today. Um, my hybrid setters, if you will, they're kind of a blend of European heritage and um, uh, more American style, just because of the influences of of both over the last one to 200 years, um, they they have what I call scent intelligence, and that's what I look for. And by that, I mean the further away they're off the bird, the taller their profile on their point. Okay, so I it's, it's an intel for me, especially as a forest hunter, where, like, I got to pick shooting lanes. You know, I shoot, I shoot 20% of the birds that I kill on both knees, <laughs> you know, while I'm in the woods because I'm going through thick cover like tag alders or, or hazel, but it's intel. Um, so dogs are standing tall on point, taking in wind, you know, taking in scent cone, you know, from 20 plus yards. And if my dogs are setting, it's either um, a, a scent cone where they kind of came across the wind, hit it at like 10, 15 yards or less, or it's a really hot track. So they can be standing tall when they're picking up trail scent and I'll get up to them. And we'll start to leapfrog up that trail, up that ground scent from that bird that's running. Um, and then as that trail gets hotter, the profile of the dog gets lower and lower and lower. The, the predatorial brain kicks in as it's sneaking in on the prey, you know, and, and the dog gets harder to move up that track because the dog has learned that 
it's getting close to the bird. Now, there's a big difference between tracking style setters and a lot of German dogs, all right, that also do tracking, all right? And one of those big differences, and this is where I get a lot of people coming to me from the versatile world, okay, of, of pointing breeds, um, is that you can have amazing German tracking dogs, but because they have hound in them, they tend to be more independent in their in their trail, in their track, mm -hmm. okay? So you can have a phenomenal meat dog with uh, a quality tracker, we'll say of German descent, but a higher percentage of those versatile German tracking breeds um, are not going to be stopping constantly waiting for their human. They're going to get into a rhythm, find that track, and they might kind of plot along through it. And as long as you can keep up with them, you know, or slow them down, then they can be a very high quality meat dog. But there's not as much um, engagement from the dog to the handler very often with those German breeds as there are with setters because there's the absence of hound. Okay. So with the absence of hound, you know, I've seen so many, I've hunted with so many German dogs on grouse. They don't even, they're not even aware sometimes that the bird flushed, whether the bird flushed five yards in front of them or whether the bird flushed 40 yards in front of them. They're so engrossed in that track that, you know, they're just following that track until it comes to the end. Now, depending on how much point the individual dog has, obviously the objective would be to not bump the bird, but point the bird. The, where the setters differ, um, and there's, I always like to say, you know, I, I paint this pretty picture of how it goes tracking with setters. Um, but I will say that, uh, like everything, um, there's good and bad tracking setters, <laughs> okay? Uh, they're not all great, you know, there's good and bad tracking setters. And there's good and bad ways of handling um, tracking setters, you know. So, but all things being equal, statistically, when you have a good quality dog, um, the setters do not advance up that trail with a with very few governing mechanisms put into place. And one a term that I did not coin, but I use it very often is intelligent disobedience. Um, so for my first year dogs, you know, anytime they establish a solid point, I do not allow that dog to go off that point until I've tried to produce a flush. So if the dog goes to move off that point at any time, when that puppy goes to move off that point at any time, I'll tell that puppy, whoa, which is kind of our don't move command. And if I can't produce a flush, then I'll give that dog the go ahead. And if it's a track, the dog will continue the track ahead. And until he finds hot, hotter scent again, they'll lock up on point, maybe a set if it's closer, and we'll repeat that process. So after the dog has had, you know, several dozen contacts with birds and has handled them well, the dog is learning that it's kind of foolish once, once my handler is caught up to me just to see her because I know the bird's not here anymore. But stopping at first scent is always the critical thing in my opinion for working wild birds with dogs you know they got to stop at that first scent so when that happens um and they've done it many times they've done it well at some point the the more educated dog can say this is silly he's here he's at me i'm gonna break this point and go ahead and at that point i allow for intelligent disobedience because the dog has proven to me 
that it's handling its birds the way that I want. And once that switch is flipped, now this is when you can do an accelerated leapfrogging up this track with this tracking style setter that's very connected to you. My dogs could go on point when they have a track and they're waiting for me to get there. And I could remain 30 to 50 yards behind them all day and they will not advance up that track without me. And while they've been educated that I don't want them to go until I've searched it, checked it out, the amount of training involved is like an hour with a setter versus hundreds of hours with a German dog in that particular aspect of the teamwork and the, 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 the slinky movement between handler and, and dog as you're moving up a track together. Um, in my kind of cover, uh, the name of the game is the birds that die are the birds that you and the dog arrive at together most often. If you got dogs that are pointing far away and, you know, in the grouse woods and you got to you got to hustle out there, that bird could be in between you and the dog. You know, there's 360 possibilities. And unless that bird was tucked in something really thick to make it feel very secure and there's a long distance in the grouse woods, that might result in the bird walking off of that point and you having to relocate that bird anyhow. So when you have these tracking style dogs, your shots um, when you're chasing birds um, become much more linear, easier shots, better shots, higher kill shots. And, uh, you know, that's what's led me to I've had amazing true style setters. I've had just as many true style setters as I've, as I've had tracking style setters over 20 years. You know, I've raised over 100 myself. I've bred just about 400 myself and I've hunted over 600 dogs in the grouse woods. I've had just as many great true style dogs but those dogs could handle 90 percent of the birds well but if the tracker handles 90 percent of its birds well there are a lot more birds in that dog's bag based on just the, the psychology of that brain the morphology of how they hunt with the human as a single organism instead of running to a dog distantly on point that was never engaged directly with you and there's a big mm -hmm. difference um, and you can probably speak to it better than myself, Chad, you know, in open country, but to me, you know, a, a term that, uh, is, uh, is definitely a sparring topic for me with some people when we get into it around the campfire is the term hunting for the gun. You know, uh, to me, any dog that wants to be a hundred yards away from you where it can't see you in dense cover is not ever hunting for the gun. It might have a lot of point and it might handle its birds great, but you know, my dogs hunt for the gun. You know, they, they do everything they can to make sure that they don't put that bird up and they do everything I can that I, to get me to be there with them when they're working a bird, you know, to get to that final point to try to get a shot set up. You know what app I use on my phone more than any other app besides the podcast app to listen to this here podcast? I use Onyx. Onyx Maps is the most comprehensive mapping system for hunters on the market today. I use it all the time. When I was in New Mexico, I was looking at 40,000 acres of ranch that I needed to learn. I flip open Onyx and just start studying, studying the map. When I'm riding trails, I put the tracking app on. It helps me get around in strange country. I could mark water sources, food sources, bear sign, 
just all kinds of options within Onyx. You need to check out Onyx Maps by going to houndsmanxp.com. Click on the link on our sponsor page. You'll go right to Onyx Maps, and when you check out, enter the code HXP20, and you will get 20% off of your order. Know where you stand with Onyx. Let me interrupt you real quick, Kyle. I want to. You covered a lot of ground there, and I would, I just want to yeah. make sure that we're we're keeping it where you know we don't get too too many uh, like rabbit paths. But first thing is, sure. I really wish that I knew that phrase when I was a kid. I would tell my parents I was just intelligently disobeying you. All right, that would be the first thing. Okay. Secondly, yeah. I want to ask you this because you've you've talked a lot in detail about where you how you hunt and where your dogs are hunting. I want to ask. I like to ask questions that kind of maybe put you out of your element a little bit but tell sure. me a place where this style of dog would not be super successful where you would think that maybe this is not the kind of place that this I, dog would excel yeah, i i can, i confidently can say that they would handle anywhere because what happens is the less the less the lesser tracking conditions that occur we'll say it could be in the desert you know wherever there's more wind more sun uh, less moisture, those are poor tracking condition environments. So all that happens is the dog tracks less and uses what resources are available. Okay. You know, so, uh, to me, my, my opinion is that one of the things with these true dogs is again, we've bred scent intelligence out of them. So what happens when you breed scent intelligence out is to me, we're dubbing down the dogs. I mean, there, it is not an intelligent dog, in my humble opinion, that points a bird five yards away, standing tall and high on both ends. That is on a predatorial level that that makes zero sense. You know that you know that is the infantry. That is not the Navy SEAL. Okay, you know. Mm. So when we when we look at these dogs, these these trackers, and again, I've had amazing true dogs, and I would consider them intelligent. The trackers, to me, are on a completely different level of intelligence than most true style setters. You know, we've we've bred these true style setters to be that way, but there's a whole part of their of their of their uh, psychology that they don't have that the trackers have. So the, again, the trackers are never. I always ask my students or my clients. So what kind of pup do you have, a true dog or a tracker? And, and I get this answer a lot when people have my dogs. Well, he's both. No, he's not both. A tracker is, is a multidimensional hunter. Again, they take advantage of anything that is available. True dogs can't. They, the only time a true dog really puts their nose to the ground is after the shot or a, or a track that is seconds old because the bird ran off of their initial point. My dogs in premium uh, sending conditions here, I know that they start off some tracks that are six hours old. Okay. How do I know that? Because I, I age things with my pick, launcher pigeons and woods and stuff. And I pick them up throughout the whole day. And then the dogs that go and acknowledge that scent, you know, one hour, four hours, six hours later, you know, and you can see it when they're tracking. They're standing tall and they're tracking. They're standing tall and they're tracking. All of a sudden, we get close enough to that bird where it knows it's been had and it starts to run and the dog starts to set and picks up that tempo, but it's setting lower and lower because we're, they knows that we're getting close to that bird. 
So that's just not available. And I've, I've literally had, you know, almost 200, uh, probably 150 of my dogs hunt all over the country on every species. And they do really well. It's just in some environments, they track less than other environments, you know? So you might find a dog, um, one of my favorite personal dogs, um, you know, she, she desires to find her game by tracking 90% of the time. So that dog, maybe it takes several more days for a dog like that in the desert to adjust because she's having a harder time potentially finding, finding trail, you know, but she finds plenty of birds via scent cones and, you know, they, they use what's resources available to them. Um, I think people, uh, you know, I've been talking about these tracking dogs now for probably five or six years on podcasts and putting content out. And I think the biggest mistake that people make with tracking style setters is that they think that they're one dimensional and they're the exact opposite. It's just an additional dimension of bird dog that true dogs don't have in their arsenal. And it benefits. What's great about it is that, you know, you could have 50 mile an hour winds, you know, you could have no wind, you know, and where I hunt, I've never hunted wind a day in my life because the wind changes direction every 30 feet in dense woods, you know? So, so it's a, it's a major benefit here, but whether you're hunting pheasants, ptarmigan, chucker, I mean, everybody, everybody that's had a, whatever the breed has had a really good quality tracking pointing dog and they've owned a handful of dogs and they hunt wild birds a lot. Nobody dislikes the tracking style dog, you know, um, that are serious about it, you know? So you, there's, you can love the other style dog too, you know, and they are effective. Um, but they're not more effective. Um, you know, I, I got, I got scrolls of stories of my students, my clients, dogs all over out West and, and they do just fine. Just again, the, the, the scent conditions dictate what faculties the dog is going to employ when they're working those environments. How many times do you hound doggers catch yourself thinking about an awesome hunt you had or retelling this great story with family and friends around the dinner table and all you have to remember that moment is some terrible cell phone picture or worse, no picture at all? Well, Houndsman XP has partnered with Rough Cut Company to help solve your problem and make beautiful pieces of art to remember for all time your experiences in the field. Rough Cut Company is an American-owned and American-made business in Wisconsin that specializes in custom, unique photo engravings on hardwood that are framed to any picture you want. They also do customizable antler dog chews and even beautiful, unique antler rings from their own red deer in Wisconsin. Rough Cut Company can do pretty much anything you ask their customer service is second to none. Give them a look at roughcutcompany.com. And when you check out, make sure you check out with HXP 10% off to get a discount on your final purchase. Check them out, you guys, and support people that support houndsmen and help keep us in the field and remembering those times forever. 
So uh, just my my uh, input on that is where I can kind of talk in on both sides of that. <clears throat> One of the things I like a whole lot about Dandy, for example, is out here in the Red Rock Chucker Hills, when the birds are exposed, there's nowhere to hide. You know, they, you know, if they happen to be nestled down in between two rocks or behind something, that's great. Or I'm walking a cliff's edge and they're right on the other side and the wind's kind of blowing at me rather than, you know, away from me. And they came from that way. There's nothing, you know, like that's the only times. But most of the time they're uh, they're terrified of dogs because of the coyote pressure that they have to deal with, you know, the predators and everything like that. And they're almost more tolerant of seeing a human than they are a dog. You know, <laughs> like if they see a human far off, they're fine. But if they see a dog 500 yards off, they're up in the air, you uh, know, and they'll, they'll flush that far away. So one of the things I like about Dandy and the, the, the bloodline that he comes from specifically is there's Chucker out there that if the dog w- gets within 20 yards, He's going to, even if he, you know, like if he can't see him, but knows he's there, heard him come up, let's just say this bird's going to flush in 15 seconds of pointing, you know, like he's there, I'm pointing, mm-hmm. I'm pointing, eh, I don't like it, I'm going to flush, here I go, you know, like mm-hmm. when I'm with Dandy and we're coming in on that together, if we get to that 30 yard mark and he, you know, and then he points at 20 and then I'm coming in. Even if like I start to trip and stumble and fall and then get my act together and get back up on the cliff and it flushes wild, I'm there. Yeah. I'm you know, yeah. I'm there for the flush. You know? Like whereas if I had another type of dog that was absolutely perfect, would hold while I drove all the way, you know, walked all the way back to the truck to get a camera, you know, and did everything right. But he points at the 20 yards, and that bird's going to go at 20 seconds anyway. It's going to be like, I hear him. I hear it. I can't see it. I know it's there. Ah, I'm out of here. Yeah. And if I'm, you know, if that happens 100 yards away, I'm going to miss it. I'm not even yeah. going to have an opportunity to just shoot at it. Mm-hmm. You know, so that that's something I get. And if we're coming in and he messes it up, or if we're coming in and I mess it up, I yell at my buddy, you know, or wave something or something like that. And they go, I'm there. You know, yeah. I'm within shooting distance or, you know, ideally we get all the way in and he, he points or sets and then I, I can kind of overtake him and boom, there goes. That's exactly what we're after. There's a flesh in the shot. So that's one of the things I really like about him is, and I think I've even, I, I'm probably stealing your words and just putting it in my own way. Like I may point more with others just because they're covering, you know, if they're like a 600 yard dog or something like that, or a thousand yard dog, they may get into more. But I, I may ha- also have less shooting opportunities, whereas this one, you know, is covering more ground than I am. But like he's, you know, 150 yards out. That's about yeah. where I like him personally. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can get there fast enough, you know, or I can kind of see what's going on. And, I, you know, I can I can get involved. And that's what's that's what's really cool. That's my favorite part about him is I yeah. get more opportunities to shoot, you know. Yeah. And, um, that, and, and that's, you know, that's exactly the same thing that happens. Um uh, you know, in the grass woods, like I said, you know, when you, when you arrive at the birds with the dog, you have greater opportunity to, to bag birds. Now, certainly, a a bigger running dog in your country where you get more wind. All right. Um, you know, yeah, those dogs can find more birds. I have hunted with many dogs in the North woods here that hunt anywhere from 80 to 250 yards and they cover a lot of ground, but again, it's, it's not a wing game here. 
So, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, in that situation, my trackers find way more birds than my very best true dogs because um, you ever hear of this thing called the scent trap, Chad? You know, where like, you know, mm-hmm. you're out there, you're training. Though every time you send me a video of Danny, it sounds like uh, you're got the trade winds blowing in your backyard. But, oh, yeah. you, know, when, you, know, so, <laughs> you know, but for us that actually have like lush green grass, <laughs> you know, yeah. you're, put, you're putting launchers. <laughs> You're putting launchers and that kind of stuff with training birds in there, you know, and you have your dog come all the way up. There's not much wind at all, you know, between no wind and the lush vegetation, there's no scent movement. All right. So when you're, when you're in the woods um, and hounds are hounds, so they track, I guess. So um, me use the analogy, but I'm sure there's been times where, you know, uh, certainly my tracking trailing dog, you know, I had a search and rescue tracking trailing dog, scent discriminant. Um, maybe we'll get into that in a little bit in this conversation, but, um, you know, she would track miles, you know, uh, and we would age these trails or if it was a real search or whatnot, she would track miles. But depending upon how the end of what the environmental circumstances were, scent opportunity wise, where that person actually was, maybe the last 50 yards was air scent. You know, maybe yeah. it was a scent, maybe it was a scent pool. Maybe they're in the tree, right? And the scent's coming down. And, you know, the dog would go from nose to the ground following that scent path to boom, her head went up because that scent was just coming down on a 45 degree angle out of the tree for the hunter suspended up in the tree that had a heart attack, you know? And so, so that can happen. But the other thing can happen too is where, you know, uh, and, th- you know, I, I, I always felt I could read bird dogs well, but understanding how the scent is behaving is a completely different animal. Like, you know, reading whether your dog is in scent or not in scent, you know, is one thing, but understanding the realm of possibilities for how scent can behave and the quantity of scent based on the size of your scent source in the set environment you're in are two entirely different things. I've seen a half naked 300 pound man in the middle of summer sitting in mountain laurel, which is like super really thick stuff. It'd probably be like your guys like sagebrush just covering all the ground, right? And you're having to somehow get through it. And we'd have to grid through this area. And this person has been sitting out there for hours. And I've seen dogs on certain days get within 15 feet of this 300 pound man that's been out there for six hours shedding 100 dead skin cells a minute and they don't smell them these are certified awesome dogs because scent is not available so I yeah we got lots of episodes about scenting and the scenting dog out there check out that episode scent and the scenting dog for exactly what you're talking about this goes deep into the science of that Yeah. yeah that's a scent trap all right and there's plenty of science to back that up search and rescue people have been studying it for decades and decades you know same thing happens with a bird Right. So we're in this thick cover and it's only a one pound scent source, you know, and there's no consistent wind at all. So that's where the tracking dog excels, you know. So in the north woods, especially up here and for forest grouse, when you don't have wind like that and you can have a bird that's in a scent trap scenario, it went to that location, you know. So your tracking dog finds those birds when your true dogs never do. You know, so I see that happen time and time again. I've ran so many braces of true style dogs with the trackers and, you know, the true dogs might look flashy and find birds first, but they miss birds. They find the easy birds first, you know, and there's nothing wrong with it. I love 
the true dogs I've had. I just now only own tracking dogs. That's where the program has evolved because that's what puts birds in the freezer. And it's just a more synergistic type of hunt. You know, you mentioned how you described working with Dandy. You know, I always like to say, you know, in an hour's hunt, if I only found two grouse, thankfully I usually find more than that. But if I find two grouse with a true dog in an hour, I had 30 seconds of excitement. You know, if I find, if I find two, two grouse in an hour of hunting with one of my best trackers, I might have 10 or 15 minutes of excitement. And there's a better chance that both those birds might end up in the bag, you know, because of the interaction. So those are all reasons as to why I have them and the dogs I select for. And again, there's good and bad ones. And there's slow paced trackers, medium paced trackers, fast trace trackers. And all that influences the dynamic between the handler and the dog when you're out there working. Now I could give my my own comparison to that and I'll do that in just a second. But I want to give the inverse. You know, like I said, these are the, one of the reasons why I like I like hunting with Dandy. I, I said that already. This is what I wanted and this is why I wanted it and 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 that. Now the inverse where I think uh, sometimes some of the some of my buddies that hunt with different types of dogs where they can kind of excel would be out, for example, in scaled quail country, where it's like an asphalt parking lot with a little bush the size of like a can of Coke every, you know, so feet, you know, and out there, it's about miles, you know, how many miles can your dog cover, you know, and then just, just cover ground, cover ground, cover ground, you know, thousand yard dogs, you know, and then Mm -hmm. boom, they smelled something. It may even be, you know, like 80 yards away. And they're like, I'm not moving a muscle because it's, there's nowhere to hide out here and it's probably going to freak out and fly away. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to, you know, cover as much ground as possible. And as soon as I smell something, I lock up as far yeah. away as I possibly can. And then you can hopefully get over there and they're still there when you get there. You know, that, that, that's when, cause I like him closer in. I like to work with mm-hmm. him. I like these things. And this is, yeah. this is what, how he's genetically programmed to hunt with me anyway. So yeah. that would be not where they would fail to perform, but like that would be the inverse. If I can, if I sure. can talk on why I love hunting with him and why he's so yeah. special and why I enjoy it, I could also say, uh, you know, my buddy's like, how about we, okay, well, Dandy did awesome. He looks shiny. How about we go out to Scalco country? I was like, all right. So you want to, you know, you, you want to, <laughs> you yeah, want so, me to ride in that boat now, yeah, you know? And, that, that's, that's a day that he's going to be honoring more, you know? So, mm-hmm, you know, yeah, those, yeah. those, then that, that happens. I, I'll tell you um, a story, uh, a scenario that's played out literally thousands of times. So um, I had litter sisters, dogs named Pixel and Widget. One was a true dog. One was a tracker. Uh, Pixel is the true dog. She was in the grouse woods, an 80 yard dog. In your country, she'd probably be a uh, a 200 yard dog. Mm-hmm. And uh, that dog was a very forward hunter, you know, always looking for the win, working a good, never bump birds. Excellent dog. Her litter sister, uh, bird sense, just as good, but she was a stealthy tracker. That dog was never more than 25 yards away from me in the grouse woods. So invariably what would happen over the years of these two dogs hunting together, and I hunted them together all the time up here, um, is that Widget would be on a track, Pixel or Sister would be casting in front of us, and Pixel would pass us, cast back and forth twice and would realize the general direction of travel we were going after we were doing it for a little bit. And she would hook a 90, and then next thing I know, my GPS beeps and tells me she's on point 60 to 80 yards ahead of us because she used her sister's intel that that was that direction, you know? Um, so that happened a lot. Um, but the other thing that happened, and again, this is not what's going to happen in scale quail country, like you described, 
is I've also had pixel casting in front of us and the wind's changing direction in the woods all the time, which has been tracking for 60 to 80 yards. Pixel goes in front of us 20 yards and uh, then Widget goes maybe 10 yards up past where she just, where her sister just cut in front and drops into a set. Bird goes up, boom, I shoot that bird. Pixel never smelt it. Not her fault. The wind's changing direction, you know. Um, she didn't bump it or anything. She just, the scent was not available. So those situations happen a lot um, in the grouse woods where it becomes a very benefit, very much a benefit to do it. Certainly where, again, you're going to have a lot more wind and a lot less ground cover, you know, um, and birds are more scarce in terms like geographically, what would you consider a cover that you're hunting Mm -hmm. in scale quail country, right? So Mm -hmm. for grouse hunting, it's going to be five, for me, it's going to be as little as five acres to as much as probably a hundred acres, right? That's a cover in, Mm -hmm. in, in quality rough grouse habitat. Now I might be walking on some trails because it's kind of a patchwork environment. So maybe it gets up to 200 acres sometimes, but typically, you know, um, if you break down a cover, you're going to hunt for a couple hours and scale quail country. I'm guessing that you might be talking square miles, you know, <laughs> when you're, when you're talking yeah. scale quail country, right? So the application there. Obviously. Even double it, triple that. Yeah. Like yeah. you go, you know, like you, they, you look out on a range, you're like, all right, there's twenty thousand acres, and yeah. they're out there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> Mars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. disappear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. whereas so, again, I mean, I, it's, it, it's different. Yeah, yeah, it's different. It's different. So yeah, so certainly with a with a closer working dog, and that that's not even tracking related. That's just that's range. You know, because mm-hmm. yeah, you you could have there are tracking dogs especially in europe that will range 500 yards Mm -hmm. wait for you to get there and then you'll proceed up a track you know so so the range element you know and most of my dogs i just asked you recently what what he was ranging out there and you know they're usually like 60 to 150 is depending upon how much ground cover and wind there is is what most of my reports are of my dogs you know in the more open country but yeah he's doing like 80 to like 200 i like him mm-hmm. about 150 that yeah. you know like if, yeah. if we haven't been getting into a while he'll lean into 200 you know but if we're, things are going yeah. the way i want him to you know he's hunting about he's hunting about 150 and yeah. and one of the reasons for that and i think our some of our hound hunters can can relate to this one of my one of my favorite parts of it now this isn't this uh, this is why i enjoy it okay i'm not saying it's better because of this no it's like this is what i appreciate of it it's kind of like going hunting with a shotgun and with a with a flushing dog for like rabbits let's just say rabbits like a like a cocker spaniel or something that's fun you go out there and you know oh there goes bang you know okay you do some more honey. oh there goes bang you know whereas yeah. if you have beagles you know they get on the rabbit track, and from the second those dogs start barking, I'm feeling it. I am yeah. in it. I'm pumped. You know, like, oh, yeah. here it goes. We're chasing one. We're on one. You know, and I kind of get, you know, it's not as, it doesn't, we aren't tracking as long as a beagle does generally to loop a cottontail back around to me, you know, but the second he goes, I got something, boss. 
I, I I got some, you know, and then we like start creeping in the whole time. My my hair stands up on the back That's of me. That's when my I'm heart like, was pounding. <laughs> yeah, remember yeah. that Seth? When we were Heck down there, yeah. as we we're creeping in. We're like, I'm like, hey, okay, here we go, here we go. You know, like we're easing in, easing in, easing in. You know, and we're yeah. all three of us are kind of looping up, and that that's. One of my that's that's why I like it so yeah, much. No, you know, it's energy. It, it it certainly again different strokes for different folks, right? So you know, the people mm-hmm. that don't like it won't 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 identify with that. But certainly for me, uh, when I'm when I'm when I'm sitting, uh, you know, at the dinner table and I cutting up that bird, you know, um, that I got with my dog and the lion on top of my feet, you know, I got that same feeling, you know, while I'm out there pursuing that bird, you know. So it's just, uh, again, different strokes for different folks. But going back to, you know, Seth's question and tying it into that, yeah, I think, like, sure, you look at some desert quail species, perhaps, where you got a lot of wind and very little ground cover, you know, and your cover that you're looking for them in geographically is a very large space. Um, you know, the dogs that range more, you know, are do it. But tracking, tracking will not negatively impact it would only potentially positively impact hunting any species depending upon the the environment they're in and how vast the environment is for the quantity of space that the birds will actually take up that's where dogs that have more range might find more birds for you in a set amount of time you know i remember hunting with a spaniel exact same place i hunted with dandy and the two style differences is what really struck me and i mean i'm a out i'm an outsider to this community first of all every time dandy would get ready on a point i was like okay chad's gonna see how bad of a shot i am (laughs) That (laughs) that happened every time secondly i just remember like when i was hunting with michael sula's awesome little spaniel i was like how are you gonna know like when if they just flush, I I thought a pointer would be way better because it's like, all right, you have time to get ready. But what I learned was, and this is kind of the beauty of hunting with any dogs, is that like that body language shift is so dramatic when Millie would like get into that scent that you could like, it would go from like, and we all know spaniels have the highest wags per minute of any animal alive. Like, <laughs> I don't understand how that tail can move so quickly. But then when she would get into bird scent, her like whole body would begin wagging like yeah. her tail. It just like move up the body until her head is the only thing not moving. And uh-huh. then the quail would explode. And I personally enjoyed watching Dandy so much because it was kind of the opposite of that. When he got into that scent and was getting closer and closer to the quail, it was like he was like a mountain lion, like getting lower and lower and lower. And I was like, man, it's like it's kind of the opposite from this like crackhead mania to this like stalking creature. And so I don't know. It was really fun to just see that, you know, is like taking a kid to Six Flags Great Adventure. You know, that's 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 how it is. There's I mean, you know, and and it also depends on uh, how people look at. You know, they're, they're how they choose to hunt with their dogs, right? You know, so there's all these pointing breeds and there's lots of, there's lots of people that might be shooting birds that weren't pointed over their pointing breeds, right? You know, so, uh, depends on how much a purist one is too, as to what they can take away from it and what they can get their dog to evolve to be. But, uh, um, I tell you, uh, one of the most fascinating things that i've experienced in my life with dogs is uh when these tracking style setters really click with it um you are really a single 
a single organism out there with your dog and my best true dogs. And man, I've had some really awesome ones. Uh, I can never say that statement, you know, as good as they are and as they never fail me in terms of finding birds and pointing birds, we are never a single organism, you know, uh, out there. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I just really wanted to break down to our audience like how yeah how a setter works because i'm gonna be honest with you i don't know you know when 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 chad was like yo i'm gonna bring this dog and he's gonna like creep on his belly when we get close to a bird i was like all right cool yeah i want to check this out you know what i mean but i i think first of all the difference between point and a set chad told me and correct me if i'm wrong and yeah i'm just gonna throw you under the bus here possibly chad we'll see or make you look like a (laughs) badass We'll, we'll find out but chad said that the set was originally preferred in the era before the shotgun because you would come up and throw a net over the birds because the dog is low to the ground. Is that true? Yeah, that 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 All has right, merit. Chad. Yeah, that does. <laughs> yeah, that does have that does have merit. You know, and one of the things that you'll see today in all these you know five hundred bird dog Facebook groups, you know, um, again, there's people that love both styles of dog. There's people that. Um, you know, just favor one style of dog. Um, do we need to throw nets over birds today? No, absolutely not. Um, I don't, I don't, do I think it's beautiful to see a setter go into a set? Absolutely. Um, okay, I want to throw a net over a bird. You're wrong. <laughs> yeah, kidding. well, I, we could get away with it with woodcock. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, and I mean, I guess technically speaking, the woodcock banders do throw nets. They're like little fishing nets over top of them. That's what I was, I was waiting for. And I was like, we, we, they do. Yeah. They, they yeah, do yeah, do that. So, like, um, uh, Seth, yeah. have you, have I talked to you about that where they, they ban the babies, the yeah. woodcock babies? You yes. Know? Yes. And you that's where this is to, an uh, ideal thing. You should, you need to visit a, a, a friend of mine, Bailey Peterson up in uh, minnesota she has three of my dogs that she does woodcock banding with them anyway they I, I uh talk to her and that's the plan i just haven't been yeah. able to make it work you know yeah, we, we, we've we made That'd plans and lost them twice now so like it's, it's yeah. gonna happen it's gonna happen yeah, yeah. so they, so they they do it um but again for me in 2024 why do i like dogs that set you know i don't want a dog that sets on 100 percent of its bird contacts, all right? I want a dog that displays scent intelligence, meaning that when in my environment, it's 20 yards off the bird and is and is in a scent cone, air scent, that it's standing upright. And when it's closer than that in a scent cone, it's showing a lower profile. When it's on an old trail, meaning we are not imminently near the bird, I want the dog standing a little bit taller on its point. And as we're getting closer to that bird, i.e. shooting range, or it's a hot track and that bird's just running, so the dog might be setting more so over a longer distance. That's all that's all information for me as a as a hunter. So Yeah, that's that's you know, awesome that you're able yeah, to. So use in twenty twenty four, why thing. does Kyle Warren want these dogs that quote unquote lay down on point? Okay. <laughs> I want I want these dogs to pass along information to me that is of great value in dense environments and it gives me it gives me information that's that's the biggest thing. I don't need to throw yeah. a nut over a dog, but uh I'm going to be I'm going to be putting myself in the best position 
for shot opportunities based on that dog's body language, you know, and that goes a really long way in 2024 of having a setter that is more of a hybrid. You know, if they're always on the ground, well, now I can't use that as scent intelligence. Okay. If they're always standing erect, now I can't use that as scent intelligence. But if I have yeah, a dog, it's cool that you're able to use that different. You're you're able to read their body language based on the intensity yeah, yeah. of of where they are. That's really awesome. Yeah, and yeah. I'm going to hop in here. This is something uh, our coonhounders, our coon hunters, do with uh, voice on track. You know, they exactly. can tell how the track is ran by the vocalizations yeah. of the dog, whereas you know Kyle's interpreting that information by the set of the body of, language. We're wrong yeah. word. The posture, <laughs> the yeah. posture of the yeah. animal. Yeah, yeah that's, I love that when I was hunting really with Lauren. Yeah, when I was hunting with Lauren, it was so cool to be like, you know, I was like, "What are they doing?" She's like, "Oh, she just found the track." And then the <laughs> next kind of bark, she'd be like, "All right, now she's trailing it." And then the yeah. bark picks up. She's got it jump, and then the tree bark, and you're like, "Dang, that is." Awesome. So I, I mean, that was cool. And you were explaining that earlier. I was getting that in my head and I did yeah. see it with Dandy. I didn't get to see any awesome flush because of course my bad luck, Chad killed the birds and I was gone. Of course, dad, <laughs> why did you have to have a birthday? God, I'm just kidding, dad. I'm glad you're alive because I'm alive. <laughs> <you>. so, <laughs> but, anyway, that was the questions I had, Chad. Is there anything else you need, brother? No, I think I'm going to do the, the classic Seth Hall question here. Kyle, I've enjoyed the conversation. You know, this is one of your favorite, like one of my favorite questions here. Like, Kyle, I've enjoyed the conversation. Everything's awesome. Like, but now, you know, specifically you, is there anything else you want to share with, you know, like, is there something you'd like to, to, to tell us about, you, got you know, your dogs? The universe you right like here. <laughs> yeah. Um, not really. I mean, you know, the, 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 my my brand of dog are these tracking style setters. I, I know I've I've just the the challenge in this country, and hence why I w- sought out Dandy Sire. You know, is that uh, I am definitely in the minority um, when it comes to the type of setter. You know, there's there's no greater variety in type in terms of the spectrum of types of of a that a pointing dog can be than in the English setter. You know. Um, from one extreme to the other in uh, both temperament and working style, pointing style. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, the United States is relatively unique in its, uh, in its English setter desires for type. Um, but like I say, I, I don't need everybody to like me. I just need a few thousand at a time. right well you're on the you're on a podcast so that's a good start (laughs) yeah well you know there's there's plenty of people out there like i said anybody that's hunted over quality tracking dogs on wild birds um you know sees their sees their value um uh for what they are and um you know it's uh it's good you know i i would just say something that you know your your audience probably identifies with you know is um you know emphasizing my scent theory and behavior education again really as much as i've always into working with bird dogs and work with hundreds of them before i ever got in the search and rescue search and rescue is really where my um scent theory and behavior education came from in uh about 10 years of doing that and you know i had certified uh wilderness area search and uh both live finding cadaver um which those dogs uh, are trained to basically find humans dead or alive 
like our, the true dog would in the bird dog world with their head up high, um, scanning the air currents. Um, and then I have my scent discriminant tracking trailing dog that worked in harness on a lead. And uh, my that that experience there is the most, I mentioned being a single organism and having synergy with the dog. There is no greater connection of any thing I've ever done with a dog in my life than um, doing a, a search and rescue tracking trailing. Um, uh, the methods that I used for training was kind of a blend of RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and the Dutch Holland Police, you know, who is known for being like the best hard surface trackers in the world with, with their uh, dogs. And so I kind of, mm-hmm. my methods of training were a blend of those two schools of function um, that I brought into my wilderness searching and, and my uh, urban searching with the dogs. And the tracking setter is the next closest experience that I have um, to that experience that I have with my uh, search and rescue tracking trailing dog. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. You can bring those worlds back into you know the passions of the past into you this new i guess new is not really the right word but this next phase of your like bird hunting life so yeah that's really yeah bad. yeah yeah well sure hey kyle first of all i really enjoyed hunting over your dog that was a blast and chad was talking about you while we were out there hunting and i was like hey this is cool because we get a nice nice neat crossover between the the hound world and the bird dog world, which, you know, here it all mixed up. I, I want to showcase a little bit of everything. And, and I love bird hunting. And I think what I love about small game hunting and bird hunting included into that is that when you kill a big game animal, the work has only just begun. And what I love mm-hmm. about small game hunting is you don't bring down this mammoth creature that requires, you know, all this time and effort to work. And yeah, they're not as charismatic as a mountain lion or a bear obviously except a jackrabbit but um so <laughs> <laughs> so you you get the and you get more opportunities a day which is so fun you know when we were out there me and kyle or uh me and chad hunted an area and we're like yeah you know this is just like whatever let's go to a different spot and and we we hunted there so i guess the long long story i'm trying to say is i really enjoyed first of all dandy is a very sweet dog great temperament which that matters a lot to me and uh, also, um, he was very good at what he did, and I really enjoyed watching him ground trail a running bird in the desert. So, um, yeah, man, I just wanted to yeah. say thank you and, for coming on and, and joining and, us. And, and, uh, and, I, yeah. and I'll add to Dandy's credit, all all at well under a year old, you know. Yeah, so. he was, that's right. He was a pupperoo. <laughs> you know. So I enjoyed it. Chad, what do you think, buddy? We'll let you close it down here, man. We're right at an hour, right where we like to be, so close it on down brother with the last words and that's all for me <laughs> all right sounds great thanks kyle thanks for your words like to have you back on sometime in the future you know but until then let's uh stay away from cockleburs and uh <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> hunt them hard and treat them like heroes huh Woo.